Hi, you're now listening to a sermon from Harvest Community Church in Hoffman Estates, Illinois. We're happy to bring you sermons like this one every week. You can find other sermons at our site at harvest-community.org. So without further ado, here's our speaker. Well, I kept going in the opposite direction. I, um, while I was in dental school, I started going out to the clubs, got involved with drugs, started selling drugs while I was in dental school, eventually got expelled from dental school. I know this is not very your typical Asian um, American story, but um, got expelled from dental school, moved to Atlanta, Georgia. And there I uh, quickly took over the drug scene, became a became a supplier to other dealers in over a dozen states. This whole time, my, my parents were praying for me. My, my parents had really grown in their faith. My mom actually began fasting for me every Monday for seven years, once fasting 39 days on my behalf. She prayed that God would do whatever it takes to bring this prodigal son to the father. My parents had no idea that I was doing drugs or even selling drugs. But um, I wanted nothing to do with them, push them away, they even came to visit me uh, one time because I wouldn't, would not come home. I wouldn't answer their phone calls. Um, after the third day, I, I kicked them out, and uh, my dad gave me his Bible. Um, they left, and I took his Bible. I threw it in the trash can. I, I, I wanted nothing to do with God, nothing to do with my parents, and it was so obvious to my parents that I was just totally unreachable. But they committed to continue to pray. They wouldn't focus upon circumstances they wouldn't focus upon um, what situation I was in or what I was putting them through but they focused upon the promises of God they got over a hundred prayer warriors to pray for me I had no idea that I that I had um, these prayer warriors on my back and um, God answered those prayers just not in the way that they had expected the answer to prayer came one day with a bang on my door Well, I opened up my door, and on my front doorstep were 12 federal drug enforcement agents, Atlanta police, and two big German shepherd dogs. They confiscated my money, my drugs, and I was charged with the street value equivalent of 9.1 tons of marijuana. And with that amount, I was facing 10 years to life in federal prison. Well, I tried calling home, dreading that response on the other line, but my mother's first words were, Are you okay? No condemnation, no berating words, just words of unconditional love and grace. Well, I was walking around the cell block a couple days after that, and I passed by a garbage can, and of all the things I found there, I found a Gideon's New Testament on top of that trash. Took that New Testament back to my cell, and I began reading it. And for the first time, the word of God began to pierce through my my hardened, hardened heart, expose my sin, my rebellion. And I just thought things couldn't get any worse. I mean, I was sentenced um, to six years and um, sitting there in jail. You know, I'm I'm from upper middle class suburb of Chicago. My dad has two doctorates. I call him a paradox. Um, I was on my way to become a doctor. You know, I mean, I had it made. I, 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 I really had it going for me. And now I found myself among common criminals. Well, things did get worse. I was called in a nurse's office. She handcuffed me, chained my hands around my waist, shackled my feet together, 
And I, I knew something wasn't right. She was uncomfortably struggling with the words, so she resigned to writing something on a piece of paper and slowly slid it across the desk to me. And I looked down at this piece of paper, and I saw three letters and a symbol. It read HIV positive. Well, those were some of the darkest days of my life. I was sentenced to six years, much better than ten years to life that I was facing. And one night as I was laying in my bed, I noticed in the metal bunk above me something scribbled. And it read, if you're bored, read Jeremiah 29, 11. For I know the plans that I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans to prosper you and not to harm you. Plans to give you hope and a future. At the most hopeless point in my life, God was using the words penned by a prophet thousands of years ago to a rebellious nation to tell me that regardless of who I was and what I had done in the past, he still had a plan for me. I had no idea where this plan was going to take me, but it gave me enough faith, enough strength to get through that one day and the next and the next. Well, my transformation was gradual. God was convicting me of my dependencies. The most obvious was drugs. But within a few months, he completely delivered me from that. But the last thing that I was holding on to was my sexuality. And, you know, I was reading the Bible at that time, really growing my faith. And, and, and I... I, I knew that, that God loved me unconditionally, but I also came across those passages which seemed to condemn that core part of who I thought I was, my sexuality. And so I went to a prison chaplain and I asked him his opinion on this issue. And to my surprise, this prison chaplain actually told me that the Bible does not condemn homosexuality. He went to his bookshelf, got a book, and he gave it to me, told me this book explains that view. So I took it with the hopes of finding biblical justification for homosexuality. I had that book in one hand, the Bible in the other. And from a purely human perspective, I had every reason in the world to accept what that book was claiming, to justify the way I had been living. But God's indwelling Holy Spirit convicted me that those assertions were a clear distortion of God and his word and his unmistakable condemnations against homosexual behavior. I couldn't even get through the first chapter of the book, and I gave it back to the chaplain. So I turned to the Bible alone. I went through every verse, every chapter, every page of scripture looking for justification for homosexuality. I never found any. So I was at a turning point and a decision had to be made. Either abandon God and his word to live as a homosexual by allowing my feelings to dictate who I was. Or abandon homosexuality by liberating myself from my feelings and live as a follower of Jesus Christ. My decision was clear and obvious. I chose God. As the days and weeks and months of abstinence passed, I realized that my sexuality is not the core aspect of who I am. It is not my identity. My identity is not gay or homosexual or even heterosexual for that matter. But my identity as a child of the living God must be in Jesus Christ alone. God says, be holy for I am holy. 
I had always thought that the opposite of homosexuality was heterosexuality. But actually, the opposite of homosexuality is holiness. And God was telling me, don't focus upon your feelings or your sexuality, but focus upon living a life of holiness and living a life of purity. Because change is not the absence of struggles. But change is the freedom to choose holiness in the midst of our struggles. Because the ultimate issue isn't my struggles my weaknesses, my sexuality, my temptations. But the ultimate issue is that I yearn after God in total surrender and complete obedience. As I began to live this life of surrender, this life of obedience, God revealed his plan for my life and he called me to full-time ministry while I was in prison. And I realized that it didn't matter whether I was in prison or out of prison because my calling on life would remain the same regardless of the location. And with that change of heart, God did another miracle. And he shortened my sentence from six years to three years, which is almost unheard of in the federal system. And so with only about a year left of my prison sentence, I knew if I was going to continue on in ministry, I'd better learn more about the Bible than just prison religion. So I called home, collected my parents, told them my interest to go to Bible college, And I asked them to mail me an application to the only Bible college I had ever heard of, which was Moody Bible Institute. Well, there was silence on the other line because I think they both dropped their phones. (laughs) They mailed me the application. I quickly filled it out until I got to the part where I found out I needed references from people who knew me as a Christian for at least one year. I had some slim pickings in prison. But I was able to persuade a prison chaplain, a prison guard, and another prison inmate to write my references to Moody Bible Institute. So the greatest miracle is that Moody actually accepted me. I was released from prison in July of 2001, started the very next month in August. So imagine the surprise of my classmates when I answered their question, what did you do this summer? (laughs) Graduated from Moody in 2005, went on to get my Master of Arts in Biblical Exegesis from Wheaton College Graduate School. Um, and uh, working on my doctorate now at Bethel Seminary. And God has such a sense of humor because now I'm back at Moody teaching in the Bible department. So I went from prisoner to professor. Only God can do that. So, and also, if someone would have told me that I would be writing a book with my mother that was just released in May um, of, of this year, I would have told you that you are crazy. You told me this 10, 15 years ago, I would have told you you're insane. But our God loves us with a crazy, crazy love. So this morning, I wanted to share a little bit about my journey and what was it that kind of helped me to be on this journey, this journey toward holiness, this journey that we are all on together, running the race, breaking free from the bondage of sin the sin of homosexuality, the sin of drugs. And I'd like, if you have your Bibles, please open up to Hebrews chapter 12. Hebrews chapter 12. And I love this, this, uh, this, the beginning of this chapter, verses 1 and 2, which, I'm, which we're going to look at this morning, because it's, it's, it uses the metaphor of running the race. And, you know, I'm, I just turned 41 And, um, you know, recognizing, you know, with my health and also, you know, just the battle of the bulge that, you know, running can be helpful. But um, I mean, are are there any runners out there in general? Okay, a few Um, in general. I don't think Asians are made to run. I mean, have you ever met any Asians who run like the marathon or win the marathon or track? I mean, not many. You know, I mean, it's it's, you know, hard to run through rice fields and we got short legs and, you know, it's just 
so anyway, I don't like running. Running is a lot of work. I just, you know, so anyway, I love this metaphor because it, it, it's, it's, it's telling you that it's going to be hard. It's going to take work. It's going to take endurance. So I love this metaphor um, of running the race compared to this is what it's like to live the Christian life. And so we're going to look at that today and, and how this metaphor has helped me and what are some practical things that helped me along the way, uh, along this journey toward holiness. So running the race. Um, and, um, you know, we, uh, we, we look at the, these passages and, and before, in the, in the context of chapter 12, it's, it's, it's following chapter 11, which is the hall of faith. We have all these great women and men who went before us. Um, and so we start out, it says, therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, you see, as it, as it said in verse, um, in, in chapters, uh, chapter 11, it talks about the hall of faith, uh, women and men, Abel, Enoch, Noah, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, uh, Joseph, Moses, uh, Moses, all these people that really have gone before us. And we need to look at them as our cloud of witnesses. Um, you know how they always talk about the home court advantage. What does that mean? Home court advantage means that whoever has that home court advantage, they're going to have kind of that uh, uh, a little bit of a push more so than the than the team that's visiting. Right? Why is that? Why is that? Is it because you know necessarily? They train better or anything because basically it's just all psychologically. It's because the people in the stands are cheering for them. They're not booing them. They're not telling them how bad they are. They're actually cheering them on. And so in the same sense, when we look at the saints of God that have that have gone before us, that should be an encouragement for us. And that should help us in our journey, in our race. The Greek word for um, that they use here. Uh, for a great cloud of witnesses uh, is also a word that can be used for spectator, just like in the stands, you know, as, as they're, um, if, if you're in the football stands or track and field, you see them out there. It's the Greek word martus, where we get uh, martyr or witness or test, uh, one who testifies. Um, but, you know, it's not so much that these people, these witnesses are just bystanders. They're just people in the uh, stands cheering. And, uh, you, you, you know, I, I heard someone say that, you know, when you're in the football, at a football game, you know, there, there's the men, the men that are playing. I don't know how many um, uh, people are on. Uh, 12 men, is it? 11. Okay, so yeah, I don't know. Um, uh, so 11 men, you know, in, in, in the football game, usually there's 11 men that, you know, they, 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 they need rest. But then there's like a few hundred people that probably need to get up off their butts and get some, get some exercise, really. But, but you see, that's not the situation here. I, I think it's more so than just these great cloud of witnesses just being spectators. They are actually people who have ran the race already and they are standing at the finish line cheering us forward. They have already gone through what we've gone through and they know all the, 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 the struggles and the trials that we've gone through and they are calling us forward to the finish line. And so, therefore, one of the first things that has been so important for me as I'm running the race is that we must be in community. Not maybe, 
not kind of when I feel like it or not just when on Sunday mornings, we must be in community. Church is not a place. Church is not a time. Church are people. And so we must be the community of God and, and encouraging people to, to, to kind of join us in the journey. And, and, you know, often, you know, from maybe from the outside perspective, church is kind of this place where we kind of all gather together and we all have it together. We put on our Sunday best and we don't have any problems, but we need to be a place where we come with our brokenness, with our needs, with our issues, with our burdens, and help others bear each other's burdens. I mean, I'm just going to be honest here. I'm broken, and I need Jesus. I mean, are there any other people out there that, that are broken and need Jesus out there? I mean, we must be a community that need each other because we need Jesus. For me, it was so important. Um, I came out of prison, and I went to Moody. And it was like, it was just ideal. Some people even said, why are you going to Moody? There's so many rules. And I'm like, try prison first. Moody was freedom. Well, I, I got into Moody, was on this great floor. I had this great roommate. He was like 12 years younger than me. I was so scared, but he was really mature in the faith. And I had these other kids. I mean, I call them kids. I was 31 going in, but they were really, they had a vibrant faith and they were kind of like my accountability partners. They were brothers in the Lord and they held me accountable. They would challenge me. They didn't struggle with homosexuality. They had their own issues. You know, thank God I didn't have their issues. But you know, when they were weak, I was able to be strong. When I was weak, they were able to be strong. And we need that. We need to be in community. Another thing is, I mean, if we're in community, which I think you, we, we get that, we can't just simply be in community and just hang out. And then, you know, that's, I mean, hanging out is good, but we need to be open. We need to be transparent. We need to kind of take off those masks that, that often we have such a tendency to put on and hide behind. And we need to be open and, and transparent and hold each other accountable. Because how can we hold each other accountable if we are not transparent with our issues? When I applied to Moody, I laid everything down on the table. I mean, I think, you know, when they got it, they're like, oh, my goodness, what do we do with this? <laughs> you know, it's a hot potato. You take it. No, you take it. Um, I think they even had to get their legal advisor to get involved. I mean, I don't blame them. Uh, but, you know, I just wanted to be open and, and not only with the administration, with, the, with my RA, with my roommate, because I didn't want there to be um, anything that might hit, be hindering my growth. And I knew that being open and transparent was really, really key. Um, here's and some of my examples might be more geared toward um, sexual brokenness. But here is a website that I think is, is fantastic. It's called Setting Captives Free. Has anyone heard of this? Anyone heard of this? Um, Great. Setting Captives Free. It's a Christ-centered, Bible-based course. And um, there's many different courses on, or it's a, there's courses. There's many different courses. Uh, One just for pornography, breaking free from pornography. One for an eating disorder, smoking, drinking, gambling, uh, homosexuality. Um, And I I love it because it really points you to the cross. There's 60 lessons in each course. Um, and I always have to say this in Asian contexts, Asian contexts, it's free. <laughs> so there should be nothing holding us back. But I think this is a great resource that for me, uh, it really helped me to see, kind of uh, get the focus. And actually, some of these principles that I got were, were from this course. But setting captives free is, is a great thing. Um, so not only should we be in community... But it says here in the middle of chapter one, it says, let us throw off everything that that hinders 
and the sin that so easily entangles. Throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles. We need to throw off sin. And um, the Greek word here for what hinders and easily entangles is a word that can be also, also translated as something with a, a huge mass, a weight, ponderously large, a hindrance. Um, when I was in the military, when I was going through boot camp, um, and, you know, we would do PT every morning, and we would run, um, and I was, I mean, I was in the great, great shape, even though I hated running, but um, we, we wouldn't simply just run kind of in our shorts and tennis shoes. We would run in what we call our boots and utes. Any military people out there? We would run in our boots and utes. Boots and utes. What are boots and utes? Well, it's our boots and our utilities or our camouflage, you know, in our complete attire. And it wasn't just our complete attire, but we also had a backpack that we would carry with us. And it wasn't, you know, like your small little school backpack. It was this, I mean, enormous thing that if you, you know, weren't balanced too much, you could fall over. Well, at least I would fall over because I'm so short. But anyway, uh, it, this, this pack was like, tw- I don't know, 20 or 30 pounds. I mean, you could pat you. And, and so and we would run with this all this time. And you got in shape. I mean, we would be running 10 to 15 miles a day. And I was just in fantastic shape. Well, after boot camp, I went home. I wanted to continue, you know, to be in shape and and so I, I would go out running, well, without the boots and utes and without the backpack. And I had my shorts and my shoes, and I started running. And, I mean, it was like I was flying. I mean, it, I was like I was free, you know. And the amazing thing was because I didn't have that hindrance. I didn't have that encumbrance weighing us down. But the reality is I think many of us are running the race with a huge backpack on our back. It's our sin that we're holding to ourselves and we're not willing to share with someone, help others bear that burden with us or put that backpack before the foot of the cross. We need to throw off sin. And so I think a great principle for me was learning that I need to cut off. And I get this from Matthew's uh, gospel where uh, Jesus gives the Sermon on the Mount where he says, if your right eye causes you to sin, keep it in there. Just, you know, just wait a little bit. You know, you don't want to hurt yourself too much. No, gouge it out. If your right hand is causing you to sin, you know, I mean, consider it, you know, maybe pray about it a little. No, cut it off. And obviously what Jesus isn't talking about is about self-mutilation, but he's talking about being radical about those things in our life that we need to cut out in our life. Imagine if you had cancer. You went to the doctor and, and he was going to, you know, do some surgery and take it out. And before he puts you on, he said, well, today I'm going to cut you open, take a look at the cancer, and I'm just going to take a, a little, like, teaspoon out. I'm just going to, I just, you know, I don't want to go too radical. I don't want to, you know, just, just, I don't want to, I just want to see how you feel and, and, and adjust to that. What would you say? I mean, you'd say, you're crazy. You know, I'm going to switch to another, another doctor. And yet often, with our own sin, that's how we treat it. We say, I'm just going to wean it off a little bit. I'm just going to, you know, I, 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 I don't know. I don't want to do too much, you know. No, we need to cut out the sin that is, or, or things that is calling us, falling us in the sin. And um, so I think there's some things that can help us, especially when it comes to sexual brokenness. Um, here are two great websites as well, or three websites. Um, these are filters that I think everyone should have on their computers, especially um, as we see, I mean, you guys are great at doing babies. Well, I was exposed to pornography when I was nine years old. This was before internet. Well, 
today with internet, I mean, the statistics are really scary. um, There's a study that showed that 9 out of 10 children aged 8 to 16. Let me say that again. Aged 8 to 16, 9 out of 10 of those children have already viewed pornography. Did you expect that? Age 8 to 16? And the reality is most of them did it by accident while doing their homework on their computer. So what should be done? I mean, you know, Bill Gates, the great, you know, Microsoft guru, he allows his children only to be on the Internet 45 minutes a day. Can you imagine that? How, how, I mean, we often just let our kids just have unfiltered access, unsupervised access to the Internet. And, and we need to realize that that needs to be, we need to supervise that. Having these filters can really help. One um, free it, uh, filter is canine web protection right here. That's the first one. Safe Eye is another one that costs money. Net Nanny. And these are just some examples. But uh, the reason why I, I put canine web protection up there, again, is because it's free. <laughs> so, I mean, I'm, I'm serious. If you don't have a filter on your, progr- on your computer and you're still uncertain about which one you're going to use, put canine web protection on all of your computers today. Okay? Tell, tell, your, um, tell your partner, I'm going to put a filter on my computer today. Okay, tell, tell the one next, sitting next to you right now. Come on, th- this, th- this is what you guys do in the inner city, right? Talk to each other. Come on, j- okay, pretend like you guys are praying. I know you guys Koreans can really pray really loud, so tell each other, I'm going to put a c- filter on my computer today. Okay? So, um, and hold each other accountable because we, we need to make sure that we're not exposing our children to... Um, to these type of things. Another thing is to have accountability program because remember, our children often know more about computers than we do and they can sometimes get around the filters. Well, having an accountability program of X3 Watch is really good too because any, any sites that come through uh, through the filter that are questionable will get logged on by, the, uh, by X3 Watch. Um, SafeEyes and NetNanny, they have accountability programs built in so they're both a filter and accountability program. But if you're using K9 Web Protection, you can use X3 Watch with it. And guess what? It's free. Okay, so we need to make sure that we throw off sin. End of verse 1, it says, And let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us. See, this living as Christians, it's not going to be easy. It's not going to be a cakewalk. Jesus did not promise us a rose garden. It's going to be tough. You know, the reality is, before I became a Christian, it was much easier. I had an urge. I did it. I had a desire. I went for it. Now I need to please my creator. And I have an enemy nipping at my heels. So we need to realize that this race is not going to be easy. And so because this race is not going to be easy, we're going to run with perseverance. We need to have a plan. This is so clear. Um, this is so clear. My, my dad always says, if you fail to plan, you plan to fail. It's a great saying. My dad and mom are in the back. They're, they're, just, um, they're the ones, they're the reason why I'm here. Um, they prayed for me through all this. But my dad, you know, he says, if you fail to plan, you plan to fail. And I think often we just go through this life not having a plan. We're just, okay, I'm just kind of go, go with the flow. But we need to have a plan when it comes to running the race with endurance and finishing well. And, and the difference between having a plan and cutting off is cutting off means cutting off those things presently in our life that's causing us to sin. A plan is looking into the future and thinking, what are those things that I know I might be weak in? 
when I might be in a situation of weakness. Look at the example of Joseph. Um, he made sure that, you know, he was going to try to stay away, far away from Potiphar as possible. And yet, unfortunately, you know, Potiphar, she's pretty powerful and, and, and she found him. Um, and, 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 you know, we need to re- remember of the context of this. Potiphar was a very, pow- prob- you know, the most powerful man in Egypt. And so his wife, I mean, think about this. His wife had to be fly. I mean, she had to be fine, okay? You know, I mean, so it wasn't like, you know, oh, no, I don't really want you, you know. No, I mean, it was like she, she had to be really, really, you know. So if I was in that situation, if I was him, I don't think I'd be able to be as strong as he was. And so we need to have a plan to what would happen, you know, in those situations and how can I make sure those situations don't happen. And that's why I do quite a bit of traveling um, right now just with my ministry and and I I make sure I don't travel alone. I don't need to be in a hotel room by myself, uh, you know, just with my past with drugs and and also structural brokenness. So I don't travel alone. I know someone who struggles with pornography. He also does a lot of traveling and he makes sure whenever he goes into a hotel room, make sure to tell the staff to take the uh, television out. Or to make sure to tell to take the cable off. Um, in the same way, Billy Graham. I mean, why did Billy Graham live such a faithful life? A faithful life to God and a faithful life to his wife. Was it just by accident? Did he kind of just, oh, wow, how did I end up here So being so faithful? He had a plan. And for, for many, it was radical. He would not spend any one-on-one time with another woman. To the point that even... If he was on the elevator by himself and a woman walked down the elevator, he would turn around and get off the elevator. And we would think, oh, my goodness, that's just, I mean, I know I'm stronger than that. I could take that. You know what? I know I'm weak. I know what I'm capable of. And Billy Graham knew that, too. He he had a plan for what would take place. And that is why he has run the race well. So we need to have a plan And we look now at verse 2. It says, Let us fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. You know, it's so important that we must fix our eyes on Jesus. Often for many of us, our goal in life is simply okay, God, if I can just get through this one day and not, and not you fill in the blank, whatever it is, not look at pornography, not get angry and, and, and act out, not, you know, uh, jealousy, not coveting someone else, you know, whatever it is, not, you know, um, you, you know, dealing with my eating disorder, not cutting, whatever. And yet if that simply is our goal We have set our mark low. God did not create us to simply not do something. Because if that's the case, that's legalism. That's legalism. God has created us to live a life to its fullest. Not simply to say, okay, if I just don't do this. Therefore, we need to know what is our goal, what is our destination. Because our destination is not, okay, if I just get through this life and not sin and not stumble and not struggle. Our goal needs to be the lordship of Jesus Christ. Our goal needs to be holiness. Be holy for I am holy. You know, and I said in my testimony just a moment ago that the opposite of homosexuality is holiness. 
And actually, the reality is the opposite of any struggle is holiness. The opposite of alcoholism is not simply don't drink. The opposite of pride is simply not just being proud. The opposite of, of you know, idolizing your, your work is not simply to not idolize your work. The opposite of all of that is holiness, is perfection. And that is what is our, should be our goal. That should be our destination. Because imagine if we ran a marathon, you know, the Chicago Marathon, several tens of thousand people, and, and they, and they uh, you know, pulled the trigger of the gun, and they started the race. Imagine if the runners, all of them, had no idea where their destination was going to be. <laughs> would that be chaos? People would be running everywhere, bumping into each other. I mean, where, you know, where do we go? They'd be running kind of on the, you know, on the sidewalks and, you know, through buildings. I don't know. Where are we going? I don't know. And yet the reality is many of us are running the race, not knowing what is our destination. We need to fix our eyes on Jesus because that is our goal. In 1952, a lady named Florence Chadwick, she was really well known as a swimmer. And she swam the English Canal. She was the first woman to swim the English Canal in both directions, and she broke the world record. Well, now she wanted to take on a new challenge. She came here to the States, and she wanted to swim from Catalina Island to the coast of California, 26 miles. In case you didn't know, that's a lot. Iron Man, they swim two miles. 26 miles of swimming. And this wasn't, you know, in your nice swimming pool, kind of nice, you know, warm water. This was frigid water, choppy. I mean, there, you know, fog and sharks. I mean, in case you just, you know, that wasn't hard enough. Well, she began and she was flanked by small boats, not only to prepare her if she got tired or if there was any trouble, but also to fend off the sharks. So she started swimming and, and she started going. She started getting tired. Fifteen hours into it, she felt like she couldn't keep going. The fog started rolling in, you know, in San Francisco, you know, the, the fog comes in, you know, in the evening every day. Fog started setting in. I mean, she couldn't even see in front of her face. She told her mother, who was one, on one of those boats, that she felt like she could not continue. She kept going a little bit more, struggled, and finally she asked them to pull her out into the boat. And she gave up. And once she got on the boat, they told her that she was only one mile away from the shore. Well, two months later, she decided that she would try it again. Same thing, flanked by small boats, same conditions, choppy water. It was really frigid cold. Fifteen hours into it, the fog started rolling in. She could not see in front. I mean, she felt like she couldn't, but she kept going and going. The, the people in the small boats kept encouraging her not to stop. And finally, she made it. And once she got to the shore, all the newspaper reporters were there. They were asking her questions. And what they all asked her was, what was the difference? Same conditions. And yet you made it this time. And her response was amazing. What she said was that while she was swimming, 
She kept a mental image of her destination in her mind. Every stroke that she took, she knew what her destination was going to be. And she did not lose sight of what her goal was. Ladies and gentlemen, our goal needs to be Jesus Christ. We need to fix our eyes on Jesus, not our circumstances, not our failures, not our struggles, but we need to fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith. And we need to commit to living lives of holiness, living lives as women and men known by Christ and known to represent the image of Christ. You know, I don't know what your struggle might be. I don't know where you're at in your journey. Some of you, I know, feel like you're in bondage. No one might know of your own struggle. But I'm here to tell you that Jesus Christ has, Christ has come to set the prisoner free. Jesus Christ has come to set you free. And the reality is we must be a community where we support one another in our struggles and not be surprised if someone right here, maybe sitting next to you, is struggling with pornography. Maybe someone sitting right here is struggling with an eating disorder. But we, as believers in Christ, must be there with open arms to say, I'm a struggler too. Let's run this race together and let's run to Jesus. That is our destination. Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much for this example of the mighty women and men of God who have gone before us in the great hall of faith. And yet, Lord, we know that through the centuries and through the millennia, we have even greater amount of people who have gone before us, Lord God. When we get weary, when we get discouraged, Lord God, I pray that you will help us to remember that we have people standing there at the finish line, waiting there at the finish line, calling us forward and telling us to not grow weary. Father, we thank you for the example of Jesus who has shown us to live this perfect life, even though we know that we cannot live a perfect life, but you have called us to live a life of holiness. Give us the strength, Lord God, to cut off those things in our life that need to be cut off. Give us the wisdom, Lord, to, to have a plan of action in our life to look forward to prevent being in situations where we might be weak. But also, Lord God, help us to not focus on our circumstances, to not focus or zero in and set our goal low simply to get through this day without sinning. But help us, Lord God, to fix our eyes on Jesus and to live a life of holiness. Father, we praise you and we love you. And we ask this in the powerful name of Jesus Christ, our Lord, and the people of God said, Thanks for listening to the sermon from Harvest Community Church. If you would like more information or have any questions or comments,
check out our website at harvest-community.org. Thanks for listening.